1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Be to God. Let's pray. Lord, what your people, uh, including me, need to hear uh, is not my voice. It's not so many other voices that we hear. Uh, it's the voice of our Good Shepherd. Uh, may we hear your voice. May we hear your word, what you have uh, to say to us by the working of your Holy Spirit, we ask this uh, according to Jesus' grace. We pray in his name. Amen. In Cormac McCarthy's novel, No Country for Old Men, you may know of the, the movie. It was a best picture film. 
the, the main character, Sheriff Bell, has been fighting this losing war against uh, drug traffickers on the U.S.-Mexico border, trying to understand the evils of a world in a new generation. When he stops at a diner for lunch and he asks the waitress uh, if they had the paper, and their conversation that you might hear in any number of places today goes like this. The waitress says, I don't know. I quit reading it. And Sheriff Bell says, I don't blame you. I would if I could. The waitress says, I don't know why they call it a newspaper. I don't call that stuff news. And Sheriff Bell says, no. And the waitress says, when was the last time you read something about Jesus Christ in the newspaper? Bell shook his head. I don't know, he said. I guess I'd have to say it would be a while. Waitress said, I guess it would too, a long while. Well, we may ask ourselves the same question. With all the darkness and chaos in the world, in our country, maybe in our own lives, when is the last time that you read anything good that the Lord was doing in our day? What do we do when God appears to be silent? We read in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 3 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Had the Lord forgotten his people? Had their sins, which were severe in this time, created an impassable rift between them and God? When the previous chapter, we saw that uh, even the priests, those who were supposed to be leading the people to God, had become corrupt and were leading them astray. But the Lord was gracious to bring the corrupt priests low and to raise up a new priest after his own heart. And here we see that the Lord will raise up a true prophet who will speak his life-giving word to a people who find themselves in darkness and silence. And the word of the Lord, which at the beginning of this chapter has not been heard in Israel for some time, by the end of the chapter will come to all Israel. And so three things that we see in this passage, this is my outline today, the necessity of God's word, the power of God's word, and the gift of God's word. First, the necessity of God's word. First couple verses set the stage. The story begins with Samuel as a boy, a young man, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And we're told in verse 2 that Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. Eli, the high priest, can no longer see well physically, but he can also, as we saw in the previous chapter, uh, no longer see well spiritually. He's enabled his sons to make a mockery of the Lord's sacrifices. And he himself has been complicit in their sins. Verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. You see, there was a torch in the tabernacle that burned all through the night until the dawn. And so whatever is about to happen, it took place in the early hours of the morning. But this picture is also meant to be symbolic. Eli's eyes are dim, and the lamp in the tabernacle is going out. God's word is rare, and the light it brings is fading but it's not yet extinguished. There's still hope. And this may be where we find ourselves now. It can feel like the light of God's word is fading and the darkness is winning. 
But there's hope. Because here, in the early hours of the morning, when the world is at its darkest, it's when the Lord speaks. And as he did in the beginning, he speaks light into the darkness. Verse 4, Then the Lord called to Samuel, apparently in an audible voice, and Samuel replies, Here I am, pops out of bed, and thinking it was Eli who had called, he runs to him. But Eli, probably annoyed at being woken up, explains he didn't call for him and he sends him back. Now maybe it's significant here that Eli is lying down in his own place, but Samuel, we see in verse 3, is lying down in the temple where the ark of God was kept. Samuel's in the presence of the Lord. And while we may feel like God is silent, how often are we going into his presence to listen for his voice? Are we carving out the time in our lives to be still before him, that we might have the chance to hear his word? Now Samuel calls, sorry, the Lord calls to Samuel twice more, becomes almost comical before Eli recognizes what's going on. It demonstrates how far from Eli's mind it was that the Lord would be speaking to Samuel. You see, during this time in Israel's history, if you, if you remember anything about the book of Judges, this comes right after that. And in Judges we read, there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone listened to their own voice. They were their own authority. The picture that we get, to take a very current example, and I'm, I'm borrowing this from my wife's vocation, she's a teacher, is of trying to have a conversation over Zoom with a bunch of little children. If there's not one voice that's recognized as authoritative, that of the teacher, if no one is recognized as leading and guiding, then it creates absolute chaos and noise. Am I right? Well, this in many ways is where we find ourselves today. If we're not recognizing and hearing God's word, his voice, then there are plenty of other voices that we will listen to whether the voices of, of ourselves or our neighbors uh, or political pundits on the right or on the left, whatever the voices, they are poor substitutes for God's voice, for God's word. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be engaged in the world, but that we should not be discipled by anything or anyone except God and his word. As we engage our culture, we must be resolute. And say with Peter in John 6, when the crowds are leaving Jesus, Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. We see in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. This is much different than the statement in the previous chapter that Eli's sons did not know the Lord. They didn't care to because of their willful blindness. But what this is saying, goes on to clarify, is that Samuel had not yet had any personal experience to recognize the Lord when he called. And so Eli tells him in verse 9, Go, lie down, and if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Well, the Lord does call a fourth time, and in verse 10, it says, He came and stood, and he calls again, Samuel, Samuel. The repetition of his name echoes God's call to Moses from the burning bush, where God called out Moses, Moses. 
And as the Lord had promised to be with and to speak through Moses, so the Lord will be with and he will speak through Samuel. In fact, the Lord had promised in Deuteronomy 18 to raise up for his people a prophet like Moses. Now, it had been at this point three or four hundred years since Moses without a prophet to speak God's word. But here, in the midst of the people's sin, in the midst of the darkness, the Lord graciously raises up a prophet like Moses who will speak his words to the people. So we've looked at the necessity of God's word. Let's look next at the power of God's word. It's a gracious thing that the Lord does not keep silence. Because when God speaks, things happen. Amen. His word is powerful. In the beginning, he spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be. And there was. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the power of his word, he brings light from darkness, order from chaos, fullness from emptiness, life from death. By his word, Romans 4.17, he gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist into existence. Amen. Amen. A great picture of this is the Lord commanding Ezekiel to proclaim his word in the valley of dry bones, skeleton bones. And as he preaches before them, the bones come together and they begin to form flesh and take on skin. And then the Lord breathes on them and they come to life and stand on their feet. God's word, you see, accompanied by his spirit, by his breath, brings life where there had only been death. He created by his word and he continues to recreate by his word and spirit. Into this time in Israel's history when it appears that the light of God is fading, they need the light and life-giving power of God's word. And in this moment, when it appears, it may appear to you that the light of God is fading, our hope is not in legislation to defend Christianity. Our hope is not in gimmicky methods to make the church more relevant. Our ultimate hope in times of crisis and darkness is not in ourselves at all and in our words, but it's in the power of God's word. Because when God speaks, things happen. And if you find yourself personally in this time, in a time of of crisis, of spiritual darkness, Psalm 19 tells us that it's God's word that refreshes the soul, that makes one wise, that restores joy to our hearts and light to our eyes. Now, I don't want to paint too idyllic a picture for you. God's word will not always be easy for us to hear or to speak. In fact, it rarely is. If the God of the universe speaks universal truths, things that are true for all peoples, then there are going to be some truths that offend, that go against the grain of every culture in some areas. If the God that we believe in is a God who only speaks things that we agree with, then he's a God of our invention. But the God of the Bible says many things that will challenge Every culture, every person. 
And so we need God's word because it points out inconvenient truths, hard truths about ourselves and about our people. We see this in the word of the Lord that Samuel is given here. Verse 11, the Lord says, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, I don't know what you uh, imagine when you hear the word tingle, but the Lord is saying, I have a message that is going to send chills down the spine of everyone who hears it. The Lord is going to punish Eli's house, the high priest's house, bring down the priesthood because his two sons were blaspheming God. Verse 13, and Eli knew about it and did nothing to stop them. Verse 14, their sins will not be atoned for by offering or sacrifice forever. You see, the priests offered sacrifices not only for the sins of the people, but for their own sins also. But atonement was not granted for the priest if he sinned deliberately. The Hebrew expression is if he sinned with a high hand, probably some gesture of disrespect toward God. It's a serious thing that Eli and his sons have shown contempt for the sacrificial offerings because they ultimately, those offerings ultimately point to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So there are no sins that fall outside the reach of the cross, but to reject God's sacrifice, to treat with contempt the means of our atonement, is to reject any hope of our sin being atoned, being paid for. We see this with a, with a hard word in, in Hebrews 10. The author of Hebrews says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. He goes on to say, For the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant has outraged the Spirit of grace. The equivalent today would be of someone who goes and deliberately sins against another person and then goes through the show and ritual of confessing, but with no remorse, with, with no contrite heart, no intention of changing, repenting. The Bible is clear that such a person should not presume on God's grace and kindness, for the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Yes. Yes. So God's word brings life, but it also kills. And the goodness of God's word does not depend on our ability to stomach it. It often has to kill before it can bring life to us. It has to show us our need of God that we may desperately and thankfully receive life from him. Well, this is a hard word and it's a hard word for Samuel to deliver. Verse 15, he lays in his bed awake until morning, afraid to tell the old man, Eli, of the word he received. And then we imagine what is probably kind of an awkward uh, conversation over breakfast the next day. Eli asking, did the Lord call you, call you again last night? What in the world did he say? And then Eli puts him under oath, verse 17, and charges him to tell him what the Lord revealed. And so verse 18, Samuel told him everything, hid nothing from him. And Eli accepts the word. Verse 19, he says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Will we listen to God's word even when it tingles our ears? Paul writes to Timothy in the New Testament, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The question for us is, will we listen to God's word when it tingles our ears, when it means, as Paul goes on to say, that we will have to endure suffering? Or will we reject God's word for some uh, falsehood that itches our ears? We need to hear God's word even when we don't like it. We need to hear God's word, and not only from the pages of Scripture directly, but from the mouths of one another. Many times in my own life, uh, when I could not see my own sin, when I did not feel guilty, it was faithful Christians who, with compassion, helped me see where I needed to change my, my ways, my attitude. This happens all the time in marriage, and marriage is really a microcosm of Christian community. But there have also been many times in my life when I could not see my Savior, when I didn't feel forgiven, that faithful Christians with compassion helped me see the gospel, helped me see that in Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes a lot about this in his great book on community life together. He writes that God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister, in the mouth of another person, another Christian. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain, uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself. He needs his brother or sister as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He goes on to say that the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's or sister's is sure. You see, there's power in hearing God's word from the lips of another. So we've looked at the necessity of God's word and the power of God's word. Let's look lastly at the gift of God's word. The last few verses here show a complete reversal from the first few verses. Samuel, who had been Eli's pupil, is now the one who's explaining things to his former master. Samuel, called a, a young man at the beginning of this chapter, has continued to grow not only as a man, but now as a prophet. Verse 20, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, these are the northern and southern borders of the kingdom. All Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the true test of a prophet was whether their word came to pass. And verse 19 seems to indicate this. The Lord did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. In the coming chapters, if you read on, you'll see that Eli's, uh, so the punishment of Eli's house, uh, you'll see the punishment of Eli's house but the emphasis in the closing of this chapter is not on the end, but it's on the new beginning that the Lord has brought about. God speaking through Samuel, not a one-time thing, but verse 21, the Lord again appeared at Shiloh. He continued to speak his word to Samuel and through Samuel. The life-giving word of God, which had been rare and which was desperately needed, was now abundantly present the word came to all Israel through Samuel. And the Lord still speaks today. Now, we shouldn't expect to hear an audible 
voice of God as Samuel did. I never have. Samuel was uniquely raised up as a prophet like Moses. Those are few and far between. But God still speaks. We see at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Throughout the Old Testament, at various times and through various prophets, God sent his word. The word of the Lord is, is almost spoken of in a way that it's personified by the prophets. It's spoken of as a person. The word of the Lord came to me and said, but God has spoken most necessarily, most powerfully, and most graciously by his Son, through whom he created the world. The word who was a person, who became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the words of the Lord that came through the prophets. If each word of the Lord was a puzzle piece, the picture that it would show was the face of Jesus Christ. He is the full revelation of who God is, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We may be tempted to believe that God has been silent because he hasn't spoken to us like he did to Samuel. But Hebrews 1 is saying, we don't have a lesser picture. We have a fuller picture, a fuller word from God than what Samuel had. The Old Testament believers, even the prophets, would have marveled at the things spoken of at a children's Bible study lesson in our day. God's word, his message to humanity is himself coming among us in the person of Jesus Christ. The word of God, God's Bible is the perfect record of this. Breathed out by God as he did in the valley of dry bones to give life. So if you have a Bible in your home, much less several Bibles, much less the ability to access the Bible on a smartphone, if you have a Bible in a language that you speak, you have a gift that is so precious that many people sacrificed and many people died so that you can have a Bible in your home, in your own language. Did you know that? May we not take for granted the gift that we have in God's Word. There's a literature professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, named Bart Ehrman. Some of you may know that name. He's written uh, some popular books uh, mainly seeking to discredit the Bible. One of my friends who went to uh, UNC uh, once told me that each semester, uh, Airman raises this question to his classes. He asks, how many of you believe that the Bible is God's word? And many of the hands go up. And so then he asks, so how many of you have ever read the entire New Testament? Many of the raised hands go down. And then he asks, how many of you have ever read the entire Bible from cover to cover? And the vast majority of hands go down. And then Ehrman remarks, you mean to tell me that you believe that God spoke into the world and you didn't even take the time to listen to what he had to say? Well, his point 
even if coming from a place of condescension, even if a bit snarky, is valid. And even if we have read the Bible cover to cover, are we allowing God to speak to us continually? Or are we too busy to hear what the God of the universe has said and continues to say? Are we allowing what God says about himself uh, to form our understanding about him and about our lives? Or are we allowing other voices to shape our view of him and of us? God's word is a gift. Chicago pastor Charlie Dates has said it better than I ever could. He says, let me tell you about this word. Its predictions are correct. Its judgments are indisputable. Its corrections are timeless. Its assertions are reliable. It is more definite than the Constitution. It is the backbone of science. It is the foundation of philosophy. It is the inspiration of poetry. It is the motivation of music. It will build your faith. It will fight your temptation. It will light your path. It will clarify your decisions. It will feed your soul. It will clean your conscience. Its words are wisdom. Its claims are true. Its hope is eternal. And it has never disappointed. Time cannot age this book. And ages do not time it. He says, you have read many books, but it is the only one that has ever read you. It is the living word of God. Might I suggest to us that it's not only living, but it is enduring. We're still reading Psalm 23 because the Lord is still alive and he is still our shepherd. We're still reading Jeremiah 8.22 because there is still a balm in Gilead. We're still reading Romans 10 because it's still true that whoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. Toward the end of World War II, Allied troops found an inscription that was scratched into a basement wall in Cologne, Germany from someone hiding from the Nazi Gestapo. And it said this, I believe in the sun when it is, even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I'm feeling it not. I believe in God even when God is silent. The silence of God descended on the cross on Good Friday. But on the morning of the third day, the sun rose on an empty tomb The word of God, the light of God shone in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. God spoke light into darkness, spoke life into death. He spoke and the dead was raised. And Jesus Christ still speaks by his word because he is still alive. He is the living and active word of God. And his word to us that we see in the resurrection is that death is not the end. That one day there will be no death. There will be no sadness. There will be no tears. There will be no sickness. God himself will dwell with us. He will be our light. He will be our God. We will see him face to face. So are we bold enough? Do we have childlike faith enough to dream about what God can do in our day? Not to dream about what we can accomplish but to dream about what the Lord can accomplish in us and through us in this church, in this city. Do we have childlike faith enough to trust in a God who speaks and by his word turns darkness to light and raises the dead? Will you pray with me?